My name is Haley Pack, and I am a recently graduated senior who will be attending Washington University in St. Louis in the fall. I've been at Lake for about a year, and I would like to extend a sincere thank you to this community for being so loving and welcoming. Lake has been such a blessing in my life. This past year of fellowship and teaching has guided me in, in invaluable ways as I embark on this new stage in my life, and I am forever grateful. Our scripture reading today is Psalm 19. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Haley, and God bless you as you go to um, Washington University in St. Louis. What a great school. You have to be a good student or you couldn't have gotten in there. I, I already know. Well, good morning. I, I have one question that's going to penetrate the entire message today, and here it is. Are God's ways good? Now, I'm, I, some of you are not answering, because <laughs> I think you think this is a trick question, because, I mean, after all, this is the sermon part of a worship service at Lake Avenue Church. You know that the answer I want is, well, yes, God's ways, God commands, everything about God is good. But I don't want you to answer too quickly. Why? Because I think each day of our lives, each one of us faces these decisions where we're going to have to choose. This is the way I want to go, but this is the way God would have me to go. And we have to ask, is his way better than the way I would choose? <laughs> so this starts when we're really young. Uh, as is often portrayed in the, uh, in the little boy and the cookie jar. 
So the mom has told the little boy not to eat the cookies. She's just baked. I'll put a picture up here. You can see it. You can envision it. You've been there, I'm sure. He knows stealing is wrong, but I'll tell you, it is hard for him to believe that doing what is right is better than getting that cookie. So the cookie usually wins out. Then mom comes in, and he has crumbs all over, and he has them on his hands too. But then he knows that he's not supposed to, to lie, but it is hard to imagine that telling the truth and getting punished is better than lying and maybe getting by with it. See what he's facing in this question is, if I do things God's way, is it, is it really good? And I think it's not just little boys. I think you and I are constantly faced with decisions like that. Some of them are big and feel like they're almost life-directing decisions. Some of them seem small, but we're often called to choose between doing what we know God would have us to do or living another way that might at first seem to be the better way to go. This, this question of whether God is good, including all the ways he tells us to live, it goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible and the creation story. When you have that story in Genesis chapter 2, they were in the Garden of Eden. Uh, God and Adam and Eve were walking in close relationship to one another, and, and God only gave them one command. It's only one command. I'm going to put it up here for you to see it. It shouldn't be all this hard. Genesis 2, 16 to 17. The Lord God commanded them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. There's so much freedom to be able to live. But, he says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you've got to put yourself in their shoes. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve had every good thing imaginable. Uh, there was purpose to their lives. Their relationships with God and with one another and all the rest of the creation, those were good. I mean, they were in paradise for goodness sakes. But when they were tempted to obey the one command God had given, they just gave in so quickly. Why? There's the question. And I think you know the story. A wily talking servant told them, you don't have to just be made in the image of God. You can be God yourselves. And it was just hard for them to imagine that being in the image of God and still surrendering to God in some way could possibly be as good as being God with no rules telling them how to live. So they really doubted the goodness of God, and you know what they did? They went their own way and disobeyed Him, and the result was cosmic devastation. Let, let's face it, you and I are still faced by the consequences of the choice they made. So that brings us today to Psalm 19, at the back there, Genesis 1 to 3, and this question that I'm asking you about whether God is actually good. Now, if you have a Bible in front of you, you don't have to, but you'll just trust me on this. It says Psalm 19. Then there's a superscription that says, A Psalm of David. Uh, both Jewish and Christian Bible scholars have long viewed Psalm 19 as being King David's personal reflection on that creation account back in Genesis 1 through 3 and his application of what happened there when things went wrong to his own personal life. Now, if you know the story of David, you know he was a man who believed in God. But I'm telling you, you read his story, and he had always faced these kinds of decisions between going God's way or giving in to his own desires, just like the little boy with the cookie jar did, just like I think you and I do every day of our lives. And as I imagine you know, 
David had too often said no to God's commands, and he'd often gone his own ways. Sometimes it was because he'd gotten angry and he, he just had to give in to his angry impulses. Sometimes it was because he was giving in to his lust-filled desires. Now, in at least one of those decision-making times, uh, David had felt this deep inner conflict because on one side he knew exactly what God has said he should and should not do, and on the other he was tempted to do something very different from what God had commanded. In that episode, and you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 25, David, you know, this military guy, strong man, <laughs> he was miffed, he was angry because he'd been slighted by this wealthy man named Nabal. Do you know what the name Nabal means? It means a fool. What mom would give her son that name? But he lived up to it. I'm just going to tell you, he lived up to it. So when he did this, David was going to take vengeance into his own hands, even though God had so clearly said, don't do that. He says, vengeance is mine. You don't repay for that. I will repay, God says, and he can do it. But in his anger, David just declared, may I be dealt with ever so severely if by morning I leave alive one male of all those who belong to that man Nabal. But, you know the story, uh, Nabal had this beautiful and intelligent wife named Abigail. And she went personally to David and reminded David of God's command. Don't take vengeance into your own hands. Don't commit bloodshed. Let God do it. And David repented. You've got to say, when he was angry, I, I'm sure he just couldn't imagine anybody doing this as well as he could do it. <laughs> that, that ever it could be better to let Nabal get by with this than for him punishing Nabal. But later, as he'd rethought about this in light of Abigail, so this is what I put it up here so you can see what he said to Abigail. Praise be to the Lord who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for keeping me from breaking God's law by avenging myself with my own hands. Now, if you don't know the story, you can read the rest of the story, 1 Samuel 25 and following. David did what was right. God personally dealt with Nabal. David got the girl. I mean, it's all a bit like a modern romance movie, just, just to let you know. So in Psalm 19, let me come back to this. I believe that David here is reflecting on the goodness of the ways of God in contrast to his repeated temptations to doubt God's goodness and to go his own ways. So as I read this, and, and as Haley, as you were reading it earlier too, it just hit me once again. This is David's answer to the question I gave to you. Are God's ways good? So as you read it through, this is what he says. Creation, he says, tells us yes. God is good, verses 1 to 6. God's commands, they tell us, yes, that living this way is good. So in verse, that's verses 7 to 11. And then at the very end, he responds. In verses 12 to 14, David says, I also will say yes by the way I live my life. So let's, let's look at that. Are God's ways good? Creation, what God has made, it, it says yes through its beauty, through its majesty. Did you notice how he begins? Reflecting back to Genesis 1, all that God had made, the heavens declare the glory of God. So you see David opens his own poem here by declaring to us that everything exists, declares to us that there must be a God who made it, 
The majesty and order of creation points us to a majestic and orderly creator. When you read through those verses, and I hope you'll do it on your own, David makes two points in verses 2 through 4. He says, the magnificence of everything God has created makes God known to all people. Whether you ever have had a Bible or not, you, you look at what God has made and says, there must be a God. And I think that's true. Anybody who looks carefully at this world, you'll see things that just make you know that this couldn't have happened on its own. And in fact, looking back to Genesis 1, he says, listen to this. The God who spoke everything that is into existence, he spoke and it happened, now continues to use what he spoke into existence to speak to us, to turn to us and says, there is someone who made all this. And the second thing he takes up is in verses 4 to 6, the functioning of creation, what the things in creation actually do, brings God's blessing, not, not just to Christians, but to all people. So he picks out the sun uh, as, as an illustration of how God brings blessing simply through what he has made to all people. He says the sun, it brings warmth not just to people who believe in God, but to all people. And, and you can read the words, the sun rises at one end of the heavens, it goes all the way over to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now we understand that here, don't we? People in Minnesota sometimes question that, but, uh, but we don't. Now, I know a few people who should appreciate those first six verses of Psalm uh, chapter 19 more than we should here in Southern California, because don't you think that God has put us in one of the most magnificent and majestic parts of his entire creation? Can I have a witness? Christian, uh, Chris and I love it here. We just have to drive out the door. We just have to drive up to our house and things inside of me say hallelujah. So I thought, how on earth do I communicate this? So I, I'll show you pictures. It's not as good as the real thing, but I'll tell you how I think about this. Because I love Pasadena. I'll start with our Colorado Street Bridge there. I always loved that. In spite of all the legends about that bridge, you can look across that bridge and you see a little bit to this place where God has put us. Let's pull the helicopter up or perspective up just a little bit. And we'll look across the bridge and into our sometimes snow-capped mountains here. It's amazing to me sometimes when I see. Let, let's pull it up just a little bit more into the third. And we're going to see how our beautiful city of Pasadena is situated right there by the San Gabriels. Anybody happy about God giving us the privilege of living here? You visitors, I'm sorry for you, but this is just a great, <laughs> it's a great place. So I'm going to keep pulling this thing up. To the fourth, we're going to see this earth that God has made us in. I, I wanted to find one of California. Those of you who are perspective say, that looks more like Italy. Don't believe it. Um, I couldn't find one. of but, but just to look at this, the world that God has made, just jaw-dropping in terms of it being so awesome. And finally, with the help of Tom Renoso, an engineer at JPL NASA, I want to pull our perspective up even higher to see this universe that God has made. I mean, I just look at these sorts of things. What happens, I just, I don't know if you do, I stand in awe and I say with David, the heavens declare the glory of the God who is the God of my life. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day he does it. They pour forth speech night after night. They reveal knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge that there must be a God. Knowledge that the God who exists must be a God of power and order and design of majesty and glory. Creation is good because the God who made it is good. 
See, Psalm 19 just says, if you wonder about God, just look at what he's made. It says, yes, the ways of God are good. Now let's come to verses 7 to 11. I'm going to become more personal with you right now. It's not just the creation, it's the commands of God also that say yes. And it says yes through the flourishing life that keeping God's commands actually brings about in our lives. In which he begins by saying the law of the Lord is perfect. It, it is refreshing to the soul. Now, um, I've been living here 12 years. I think a significant percentage of Southern Californians might accept the first point that I just made. <laughs> that creation will somehow declare that there must be some sort of a God who is good. I think it will be a much lower percentage who are going to agree with my second point here. <laughs> that the commands of God to live in keeping with his ethics, with his morality, will be better than anything else, better than our own ways, better than the world's ways. So knowing that this may be a hard sell here in Southern California, I'm going to try to make the same point that David makes in this Psalms. He uses a lot of words to talk about how God tells us we're supposed to live. I've jotted them down. It starts, verse 7, with law or Torah, that's a, the Hebrew word, uh, with God's statutes, precepts, commands, ordinances, decrees. And, and putting all these words together, what David is saying, there, God created us too in his image. And in creating us, he created a way of life that if we will live that way, it describes a way of life in which our lives are actually fully alive and in which they, they flourish. All those words, precepts, designs, all of them boil down to ten commandments recorded in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um, now, I don't know, those of you who are newer to a church, the ten commandments, there are really two parts of them. The first, it's called the first table of God's commandments given to Moses, point to how we love God. It starts by putting God first in our lives, honoring God also by the way we use his name and so forth. The second part of the Ten Commandments tells us all about how we love people because we're made in the image of God and he says made, being made in the image of God, we show love to God's people and he describes how to do that. So all of the commands that I read in the Old Testament boil down somehow to coming out of those and you know Jesus himself when he was asked, what's the greatest command? He boiled the, even the 10 down to two. He said, the first is this, love the Lord your God with all that you are. That's the first part of the 10 commandments. And he tells us how to do that. And then the second, he said, is a lot like it because we're made in God's image. Love people as you love yourselves. You can boil it down to that. Now, there are, of course, a lot of other commands, especially that you find in the, um, in the Old Testament other than specifically those 10. But let me tell you, it's my own view, that every command you find in the Bible flows out of those 10. Those 10 are written because they flow out of the character and nature of God himself. And sometimes you have specific applications to people. So in the Old Testament, you have a lot of sanitation laws, and you have a lot of dietary laws. Laws which were specific to them. God's loving commands for them is for you to really live well. You, those things change as the world changes. You know that. And when you get to the book of Acts, you begin to see that. But I'll tell you, the moral commands that stand at the heart, found in the Ten Commandments, they never change 
because they are rooted in the character of God himself. We should always put God first. We should have no gods in front of him. We should always honor parents. If you're going to live a life in, in keeping with God's ways, you're not to steal from other human beings or kill other people or ruin their lives or commit adultery or to covet what they have. Those are God's commands to us, teaching us, this is the way I've made you to live. When you live that way, you live well. Are you with me here? Well, let's, let, let me keep going with this just a little bit. What I want you to see is when he first gave those Ten Commandments, the very way that he gave them, he says, it's because I love you. So that in Deuteronomy 5, verse 6, before he gave the Ten Commands, this is what God said, I am the Lord, Jehovah, I am your God. Remember, I am the one who brought you out of slavery. Therefore, this is how I've made you to live. Do you see the point? I rescued you. I loved you. I don't want you to have to live like slaves to anything anymore. How then should we live? I'll tell you how I made you to live. That's what he's saying. And then if we missed it, after giving the Ten Commands, he brings it back again. In Deuteronomy 5, 29 and 33, he said, after giving those commands, oh, that your hearts would keep all of my commands always. Why? Because he just wants to control our lives? No, no, no. So that it will go well with you and your children forever, so that you may live and prosper, word for just flourishing lives and, and prolong your days. In other words, what God is saying is this, I'll rescue you because I love you, but I don't want to rescue you to leave you as slaves living like you did back there. I'm going to rescue you to really live. And essentially, Jesus takes that up himself just in John chapter 10, he says, I'm going to tell you why I've come, and I'm going to tell you why I give my life. I'm going to give my life to forgive your past, but I'm going to give my life to set you free, not to be living lives of bondage. But you know what he said in John chapter 10, verse 10? That you may have real life, life to the full, abundant life. And I hope that you say, see this, that he says, this is the way I've made you to live. And so you ask the question, when God says, this is the way I should live, because sometimes what he commands us to do, run against our own human desires. And very often, they go against the tides of our times, society's expectations. And when you have that conflict between the way the world lives, the way you are craving to live, and God, you're going to be faced with that question that I started day, today with. Do you really believe that God's ways are good? Are, are you with me? Now, David just takes time to try to tell us how good they are. I'll just walk you through it, verses 7 through 9. He tells us what they are, and then he, they, he tells us what they can do in our lives. Verse 7, the first part, they are perfect, he says. God, God's Word is perfectly what we need. They revive your soul. So I say, do you ever feel drained and depleted? There's so many things we might do and, and, and we're given counsel to do, but one of the first places you be, begin to turn is back to God. Say, Lord, are there some things in my life that keep me from knowing your presence and your, and, and your strength? You re-surrender to his ways. And what he says is you're going to begin when you return to God to find your life restored and refreshed. Have you ever experienced that? What else does he say? Verse 7, the first part, second part. They're trustworthy. They make you wise. And by wise, it simply means the way that life is supposed to be lived. This is the way we were meant to be. He says they're kind of like um, a statue or, 
road signs along the road that when you're driving in a place you've never been and it seems a bit treacherous, it gets to be dark, it's great to have a sign letting you know that there are some curvy paths coming. I know we have GPS systems, but, but those are helpful for me to have. I remember back when I, I told this years ago, I was in Austria years ago, driving in a place where there'd been sort of a, 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 a fall, and so the road went right up against this, this cliff on the side of the mountain, and there was a policeman up there and had signs telling us, keep going, keep going, and I, I didn't know if I wanted to keep going, and he said, haben Sie Bohnen in den Ohren? Do you have beans in your ears? It's great. <laughs> I told you to come this way. I told you to come this way. So I went that way, and he brought me through, and that's what the Word of God does if you'll just trust him to do it. Uh, David goes on. They are right, verse 8. They give you joy. What, what he's saying is they won't lead you astray. They'll lead you straight to the goal. So Jesus, in, in John 10, 10, says other things are going to promise you the path to finding your joy, but they're going to kill, steal, and destroy. You know, he said that. They won't fulfill no matter what they promise, but I have come, and I'll give my life so that you may have that life to the full. And then he says in verse 8, the second part, they are radiant. They give light to your eyes. Ah, oh, the decisions of our lives are often so complex, aren't they? It's, it is like sometimes you feel like you're in the dark, so the Bible is saying, if you live your life being guided by anything else, your own cravings, which are fickle, and go come here and go there, by trying to please everybody around you, what they'll do is they'll just rip you apart. There's only one person ultimately that you need to fear, the only one you need to please. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and he says, this is the way of life that brings you joy. Do you believe that? I, I don't... I, I don't think a lot of people really believe that. We, we think, no, no, uh, I have to keep God's laws. They're not going to revive my soul. They'll take away all my fun. Oh, they're right and they give you joy. No, that can't be. They'll give light to my eyes. We often think, and, and so we're faced with that question that I brought to you. Do you really believe that the ways of God are good so that when you say, that's what he has said, and I'll follow that, you'll find your life in that? All right, I, I wonder how to illustrate this. So we had some of our other pastors working with me on this sermon, and they told me that in our student ministries, when we talk about sexual ethics, sexual moralities, sometimes we come to a part where, where, where we see that God's Word calls us to a different way of using our human sexuality, and uh, they say that many times the, the students will feel like, oh, this is too confining, this can't, this can't be the best way of living my life, and they use the fishbowl illustration. So I said, tell me about the fishbowl illustration. I didn't bring one up here. I'll show you a picture. Uh, I'm telling you, that fish wants to get out of that fishbowl. And it isn't even looking behind itself because, see, there might be some danger <laughs> if I get out of this, this fishbowl. But uh, I'm so confined by, by this, these parameters <laughs> I have around me. If I can just get out of this thing, I can live. Now, they have told me, I'm not going to do this here. It just seemed too brutal to me that sometimes they have taken the fish out of the fishbowl and just letting the students see what happens. Uh, oh, I already heard the, the... I'm not going to do it, Rochelle. I'm not going to do that. And I said, are those pastors still working here? And they assured me that they, they weren't. <laughs> I had to throw that in here. All that is to say is the fish is made really to live in water. You and I were made to live within the parameters of God's Word. David often didn't really believe that. But he had learned at great cost that going his own way ruined his life and others around him. But then he returned to God, and as God always does, 
He received him and used him again. So just listen again to the words, verses 10 and 11. The precepts of the Lord are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. By them, your servant is warned about the cat being behind the fishbowl. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Do you believe that? So again, I'll just ask you, do you believe that the ways of God are good? Now, our response to this message, your own life can say yes through a commitment or a recommitment to God's ways. In verse 14, David says, May these words of my mouth, may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. So at the end of uh, Psalm 19, David comes to the place that I pray every week God's word brings us to, to evaluating our own life in light of what God has said. So he had looked at creation, and it says, yes, everything that God has made is good, and then he thought, God, but you've also made me. Is my life, by the way I live it, revealing to those who see me your goodness? He looked at the commands of God, which he knew needed to be obeyed in order to do that. He, he looked at that and he said, they also tell me, this is where you really find life. If I, if I obey your ways instead of going my own, Lord, am I living my life aligned with your ways rather than driven by my own or by the world's? And it brought him to these two ways of responding to all of that. So simple. I mean, I think this could be any sermon that talks about this. One is confession. And the second is commitment. Confession and commitment. Let's look at that. Confession in verses 12 and 13. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from what he calls willful sins. I'll tell you, times of looking back like David was doing into his own life and for you and me, looking into our minds and our attitudes and heart are so important if we're going to have a growing experience of God, because they're always clutter, things that are wrong that sneak back in, and we need a recommitment to Him. I, I resonate so fully with that opening line in verse 12. God, who can discern all His own errors? Do you see what He's saying? He's saying, as I look to who you are, and then I look at myself, I think I'm not even aware of some of the things that need to change about me. H have you ever felt that way? I mean, some things are obvious to me, but the more I, I've been walking with Jesus for 60 years, and there still are times when I come back into his word or I worship with you and I begin to say, Lord, why haven't I seen that before? It calls me back to confess. Now, but there are things that we're also often also fully aware of, aren't there? And he has two words for those, hidden faults. Th those are the faults that you know are there, but you've been trying to hide. Maybe from your family, maybe from the friends around you, maybe from church, and maybe you feel like you've done a pretty good job of doing that. David had spent so much of his life trying to hide things from God. Do you remember the time when he had stolen another man's wife? He thought he had it hidden. He may have had it hidden from the people in the palace, somebody it wasn't hidden from. So as he looks back to Genesis 1 through 3, you know what happened. When they disobeyed God, I've, to, I've told you before, where were they after they disobeyed God? God comes back into the garden. They were there hiding behind the bushes when the God who made the bushes came. It's so stupid when you think about it, but we do similar things in our lives all the time, and David knew that he had done them. 
And so he had to open up those hidden faults because they were not hidden from God. And I'm asking you whether there are some of those you brought to church with you this morning. That you need to first just open them up to him and say, here they are, Lord. I give them to you. I turn from them. He also owned up to those things that were, I think, all already out there in the open, what he called my willful sins. That I'm sure that others had seen maybe in his uncontrolled anger. Uh, people had seen them in his willful dishonesty. He confessed those too, and he turned from them. And so this morning as you come, I'm going to give you a, a few moments and just very, very soon be able to do business with God and say, Lord, these are those things. There are things about me I haven't even seen yet, but these that I'm hiding and these that have come out, maybe in some of your relationships or your business dealings or whatever in the past, past week even, that you'll bring those to God and say, here they are. Will you forgive me? And what will he say when you return to him? May, may I give you, again, the gospel? I'm ready, God says, to cast your sins as far as east is from the west if you will confess those sins, as David did. I will be who I am. Remember, and he's already shown that he is good. I will be faithful and I'll be just. And I'll forgive you your sins. And I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confession. Leading then to commitment, which is found in one of the most powerful words of commitment in the Bible, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, may that be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hope you get a, an idea of this. He had said early on, all creation speaks. It speaks simply by its beauty to the fact that God is good. The commandments of God speak as well. Real words being used telling us how to live real lives. But Father, I am praying that my words will also declare your goodness to anybody who hears me, and that my life may declare the difference that you and you alone can make by anybody who watches me. David prayed, and I'm asking you to pray this morning, that your words will point others to God and to his Son, our Lord Jesus. And I'm praying that as people watch you, wherever he has put you, as a neighbor, in the workplace, as a student, that they'll watch your life, and when they see it, they'll, they'll say, there must be a God. He is good. I want to know him too. To that end, I would like for those of you who can, if your health allows, and here on the main floor, to pull out the kneelers in front of you. Up in the balcony, I know you don't have those, but you can take a, a posture of, of, uh, of humility and of, of kneeling as well. Our musicians will come. I first want you to begin with confession. Will you think about those things that you might have been hiding? I, I, I'm just telling you, as long as you keep them hidden, growth will never happen. They'll keep choking out the life in you. I ask you to confess those first now. Bring that out in your prayer to God. He may send you, tell others later, but bring it up to him then. And maybe even as you've come to church today, you, you know there are things you've said, attitudes you've had, behaviors you've engaged in. You say, those things aren't what honor God. I want you to confess those to him as well. When that's done, 
uh, Jeremy will come and lead us. And uh, I pray that the commitment that David made will be yours too. May the words of my mouth, may the meditation, those things I focus on and think about, be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, my rock and my redeemer.